1: This week, we talk with Mike Irwin and Galen Wright. They're the team behind KU Warboy, an upcoming TV series my listeners will definitely want to see with their entire families. More on that in a minute. You know, I'd like to think I've got a pretty thick skin. I read the craziest tweets and the most insane Facebook posts, often from my friends, but I don't really block anyone unless they get extremely cruel. No problemo. Now, if I unfollow those people with whom I disagree, I'm not much better than your average leftist, am I? Still, the news stories that hit over the past few days have really pushed me to my limit. Doxing. Politicians mocking other politicians for getting hurt. It's just the tip of the crazy iceberg. What's happening to my country? And then I read a Wall Street Journal piece which rocked me to my core. I don't rock easily, but it did. A New York City comedy club planned a debate on reparations for late last month. They canceled that debate. Why? Well, you guess. You guess threats of violence. Yes, the heckler's veto won again, but that's not the part of the story that really scared me. That's just the new sick normal. The author of this particular article found one of the people whose veiled threats caused the debates cancellation in the first place. His name is Larry Boone, and he thinks we cannot even debate reparations. They simply must happen, period. Not very American of him, is it? But it gets worse. He started by posting a picture of the comedy club's general manager saying she was responsible for having that debate in the first place. He wrote, Please do your part. Put an end to this. If that isn't a call to violence, I'm not really sure what is at this point. There's still more. The author of the article reached out to this fellow and had a very long conversation. Here are some direct quotes from the story. Mr. Boone said canceling the debate was the right thing to do, but, open quote, we live in a free society. So do what you've got to do, and we'll do what we have to do, close quote. The story goes on, but he disclaimed any violent or disruptive intent, open quote, my heavy hitters are businessmen and women as well as those who have strong political connections, close quote, he said. That's Bullying 101. The author then turned to the folks behind the comedy club. They knew they did the wrong thing, but they also feared for their safety, and I get that. They talk about how freedom of speech is so critical to the club's business. And also, what the article says is an unwillingness to take risks compounds the danger. A point the owner concedes. Here's what he had to say. I think it's very easy to make the case that when someone like me buckles, and I did buckle, there's blood in the water, and it encourages people to do this kind of thing. Close quote. Welcome to 2019 America, folks. You know, I'm probably the last person around to be so cynical about my country or to slap on a tinfoil hat, but I'll say this, violence is coming to America sooner than later, and I pray I'm wrong. Now here's the tweet of the week. This week's winner is Josh Gad. The man who gives voice to Olaf the Snowman and the Frozen franchise is joining the official Boycott Anything Remotely Tied to President Trump movement. Here's his tweet. I'm finding it very difficult today to support the Miami Dolphins. I genuinely don't know if I can stand behind my lifelong team Knowing what I now know about Stephen Ross. You see, Ross held a fundraiser for Trump, and now an animated snowman has the sads. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. It's been a while, but three donies, Jim Culver is back on the hitcast. Here's Jim to give us the scoop on two major woke fails. You know the saying, get woke, go broke. But one involved the studio behind the Dick Cheney hit piece, Vice. Here's Jim to fill in some of the blanks. You uh, reached out to me recently about my favorite phrase, and uh, forgive me for picking it above all the rest of late, but it's (laughs) get woke, go broke. And uh, that certainly applied to Gillette, and uh, it also applied to a, a movie studio that's in Tough times. So let's start with the Gillette story. Break it down real briefly, and and tell us what happened.
2: Sure. So, uh, as I'm sure everyone remembers, uh, a while back Gillette started uh, doing ads that were that were very uh, identity politics heavy, uh, very Me Too oriented, and uh, you know, and and they there was a huge backlash, and uh, it's, you know, it didn't obviously didn't pan out for them. They they uh, most recently. Announced they lost about five billion dollars, and I think Procter and Gamble took about an eight billion dollar uh, write down on them. So they're obviously this didn't pay out for them. There was a uh, an interview with this the Gillette CEO in uh, Marketing Week where he he you know he. He tried to defend his ads, and he basically said they were a price worth paying because it was such an important cause. But at the same time, he contradicted himself when he admitted that it was really just about uh, picking up market share among millennials. And and his quote was, "It was it was pretty stark. We were losing share. We were losing awareness and penetration, and something had to be done. So we took a chance in an emotionally charged way. So you know, a very cynical statement. And and I think it kind of just." You know that really uh, reveals what all of this this corporate marketing is all about. It's really just all about trying to win over uh, younger customers. And obviously, there's a uh, you know a pretty widely spread belief that that younger uh, younger Americans are uh, very much on the left, and which uh, t- isn't really based in reality. I mean, if you look at the numbers. Uh, you know uh, millennials are actually more conservative than their parents and grandparents were at their age and generation z is actually more conservative than than the millennials so it's really not based in reality and even among the the, the far left ideologues they don't really reward pandering with money as as a general rule and so
1: what's interesting there as well is that we keep making the mistake of thinking twitter is real life thinking social media reflects society. It reflects a segment of society and often a small segment. As much as I'm on Twitter, I, I try to have to kind of keep reminding myself this is not the real world. And I think that a lot of brands do think that way. They kind of are afraid of what happens on social media and they're kind of trying to ride that wave. And what a mistake, right?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's always the dogs that bark the loudest to get the most attention. But, you know, certainly social media has amplified the voices of of some extremists and, but you know, if no one else is is using the same kind of communication systems, then it's easy to assume they represent you know a large numbers behind them when they really don't. Mm. Uh, so it's it's kind of a wide mis- widespread misconception. And so you know this you know these these misconceptions turn into to big marketing strategies. And you know, and I'll, I'll just give a personal story real quick if I could. So mm. um, so I used to work in marketing in the corporate world back when. Uh, the, uh, the movie An Inconvenient Truth came out and, and, you know, companies had started to jump on board this uh, green energy bandwagon. And uh, so, so we went to a, a sales seminar where they, where they, they kind of told us how to sell these, these green products to people. And, uh, you know, and this kind of reveals the mindset, but basically they, they said, they told us, uh, you know, there's two kinds of customers. There's uh, selfless people that, that care about the environment, and they're selfish people that care about money. And so you can sell these products to both of them by by talking about how good they are for the environment and also talking about how they have tax breaks mm-hmm. and will save you money. And, and you can see that in a lot of the advertising, the green energy advertising at the time. And so that, you know, obviously it's overly simplistic mindset, but that's kind of what they were running with. And I think, for, for example, a lot of these movie studios, there's, there's been similar pitches going on for identity politics. And they've basically been saying, well, there's two kinds of viewers we want to bring into the theater. Right? There's older viewers and there's younger viewers. And the older viewers like Nostalgia and the younger viewers like, I, like um social justice. So what we're going to do is we're going to do remakes and reboots and sequels to all of our popular brands, and then we're going to give them a social justice bent. So then the, the nostalgia will bring in the older folks, and then the social justice will bring in the younger folks. And so that's kind of been their strategy going forward. And again, it's it's based on some pretty wide misconceptions about who that would appeal to. And and the, the you know the, the belief that it's not going to drive a lot of people away. Yeah. So and they, they
1: and we've got a movie studio that really kind of epitomizes that, Annapurna Pictures, which had some bad financial news in the last few days. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on there and how that kind of uh, connects with the Gillette story and sort of the overarching themes you're talking about?
2: Sure. Yeah. So Annapurna was a uh, or is a uh, independent film studio that you know became pretty popular for making a lot of 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 well-done lower budget or mid-budget movies uh for example zero dark 30 american hustle and some of them were pretty successful as as lower budget movies go but the uh the ceo is is a pretty hardcore ideologue uh and she was obviously looking to win over the uh the younger crowds so uh you know they started distributing their own movies and cutting out their uh, Sony and the other partners that were focused more on, you know, more moderate messaging. And then they make made movies that were really high, uh, higher budgeted uh, bombs, and were very high in the social justice messaging. Uh, and uh, the obviously the most the most recent notorious one would be Vice, the the Dick Cheney movie, which I think cost sixty million dollars to make and lost tens of tens of millions of dollars. You know, and and so. You know these movies really just don't make money. They don't bring in the uh, the audiences they're supposed to, and uh, so the company's been. In financial dire straits for a long time, and it's it's recently announced uh, announced bankruptcy. Uh, so the CEO is the daughter uh, Megan Ellison is the daughter of Larry Ellison, who is a billionaire. He he founded Oracle, and so he's you know worth tens of billions of dollars. And so she's essentially been using his money to fund all of these movies, and you know so it's just kind of a question of will he finally cut off the the money flow, in which case the studio is basically doomed. Uh, so. Uh, you know that's that's obviously the most recent example yeah. of a, yeah.
1: And, and you know what's interesting is it isn't just this small studio because you look at what's going on with Star Wars, you look at uh, movies like Long Shot, uh, Late Night, they're all kind of getting woke and not really connecting with audiences. And I, what I, you know, I can look at my site and I can look at you know Breitbart News and some other uh, right of center outlets, three you mm-hmm. as well. And, and say, okay, we get it. We see something going on. We see the cultural shifts. I really don't think Hollywood is. And I just one last question. I don't think they've gotten the message yet in the industry, the film industry. Do you think it's filtering through or do you think there's going to be a few more bombs heading our way before they realize that this, this approach isn't going to work?
2: I don't think it's filtering through at all because Hollywood is such a bubble at this point, such an ideological bubble. So, you know, the movie studios are probably five or 10% uh, political ideologues all on the left, of course, and then the other 90% just care about making movies and making money. But that's all the, the you know, that's the only voices they're hearing are on the left. So, uh, you know, and, and they're again, they're telling them that, this will bring in the younger folks. I mean, obviously, Disney bet all their chips on uh, bringing in girls for to the Star Wars franchise by going all in on on female empowerment. So they figured we've got our Star Wars brand that'll bring in the older folks, and then you know the the, the boys will want to go because it's Star Wars, and then the girls will want to go because it's uh, you know it, it's female empowerment. And and you know they're obviously they started out really strong, but. But the last Jedi seemed like the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, since then Solo has has, has bombed uh, the the sales uh, on toys and theme parks are lagging. They're they they actually uh, announced low earnings for the last quarter for for Disney, right? After after uh, you know after End they should have been absolutely flush. So uh, I think it's definitely taking its toll, and so you know I I think it's going to take a long time, and, and even if you look at the next phase of marvel they've made all these announcements you know that are that the the movies and tv shows are going to be more heavily uh, layered with identity politics than they were in the past so so i think it's really going to take a long time to for the message to sink in i, yeah. I really think that it's you know uh, you know i mean it's i mean they've already announced all these projects for the next few years for marvel and uh you know they're, they're, their movies are still making a billion dollars in movies so uh, i think they're thinking they can just keep right on course uh for the for the immediate future and it's going to take a lot of a lot of losses for them to really wake up
1: yeah I, i'll be very curious to see what happens with marvel over the next five years maybe much less because i look at that new slate I kind of shrug my shoulders. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm not alone. But uh, hey, Jim, thanks for joining the show. You brought some really great points. Again, you can find Jim's work at 3donia.com. You'll see a link to the site on the show notes page at Hollywood in Toto. And I look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks a lot for having me.
2: My name is Anne McElhinney.
0: And I'm Phelan McElhear. And we wanted to tell you about our new podcast, The, the Anne, Anne and Phelan, Phelan Scoop. Scoop. In fact, it's our first podcast. So you know what's from the Gosnell movie, Frack Nation, The Gosnell Book, FBI Lovebirds Undercovers. The hypocrite series, Mind Your Own Business. Clinton emails on film, Ferguson. We've had all these projects. People have said, why don't we see more of you why don't you do a podcast?
2: So we're doing a podcast. we're doing a podcast, and it'll be politics, it'll be culture, it'll be movies, it'll and be books, books, it'll be exhibitions, and it'll be your problems and it'll be also, jokes, it'll and
3: recipes,
1: and recipes. Don't forget recipes. It'll be, and
3: we'll imbibe a little champagne. God
1: save all here. So tune in wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there. The Anne and Phelan Scoop. Thank you. Mike Irwin can look back on a long career in filmmaking with pride. He's produced a number of movies like A River Below, the heralded 2017 documentary. Now, Mike wants to create something more personal, something that brings good values along with quality storytelling to the audience. It's why he teamed up with Galen Wright to create K.O. Warboy. The upcoming series follows a boy left stranded following an EMP attack. This little guy's got to grow up fast to survive. And that's where the challenges and the story begins. Mike and Galen talk about their project, their previous TV show that helped inspire it, and also much, much more in the latest HitCast interview. I hope I enjoy my conversation with Mike Irwin and Galen Wright. Well, thank you, Mike and Galen, for joining the show. Now, I, I think that any time a project like this comes up, I always get curious about the spark, the inspiration. Was it a sort of a series of events that made you want to make the story? But from your perspective... How did things start initially with K.O. Warboy?
0: Well, I wrote the thing for my nephew, whose name is K.O. Okay. He's a 10-year-old kid, and he's a really good little actor. He's been in the Oregon Shakespeare Festival and some other theater. He was Chip the Cup in Beauty and the Beast. And so uh, for his birthday, I wrote him a, a screenplay. I wanted something that could be shot locally with a smaller cast, natural light. And then I showed this, this, uh, script to Mike and he, he really liked it and thought it had some good potential. So that's really how the whole thing started just as a, as a birthday present for my, my nephew, KO.
1: And, you know, you've set the birthday present bar way too high. So I'm going <laughs> to complain right there because now other kids are going to expect something as wonderful as that. But, uh, well, Mike, it's, obviously it's, you connected with the material. Talk about, you know, you're a longtime producer. What? It's not just someone saying, "Hey, I like your story. you wanted to do something with it. Talk about that. What connected with you about the project?
3: Well, I had just come back from doing a documentary in the Amazon River for a number of months, and I was really contemplating just you know retiring because i'm I'm getting up there and uh, but when Galen brought me the script, uh, it it hit something in my heart that I've been wanting to do for a long time, which is just a good wholesome adventure story uh, with all the sort of boxes checked of of things that I think can uplift uh, the audience um, and young people and it's just something that I've wanted to do uh, for a long time as a producer and my particular sort of uh, positioning in the producerial marketplace was doing a basic sort of a product for the pipeline, which are sort of blue label movies. You know, like when you go to the market, you get blue label peas that that have the Albertsons label or whatever your local market is. Uh So the kind of movies that, that we made to fill the pipeline and they weren't always the genre or the message that I wanted to express personally. So Galen really delivered something that inspired me and, uh, you know, moved me. So that's that's how we got going.
1: Now I understand, um, I think Mike, you and I emailed off off air. You said that the TV show, The Rifleman, ties into this project and that was intriguing to me and I thought it'd be intriguing to our listeners. Talk a little bit about the connection between two, it seems like different projects, but obviously there's, a, there's some tissue between them.
3: Well, it doesn't really tie in other than, but both for Galen and myself, it, it was a very, Potent uh, childhood show, mm-hmm. um, and it was a single dad and uh, a young boy, and the the show would frequently uh, feature the young boy getting in some kind of trouble. You know, he'd get all messed up with uh, being just a boy, and then his dad would sort of help him through to find a conclusion that would empower him as as growing into a man. So that was a very um, powerful show for us that that resonated for us as boys, and so we used it as um, uh, kind of a marker for creating the episodic adventures of K.O., uh, so that each one uh, hopefully will deliver that message um, of becoming a man.
0: You know, I I don't know if this the statistics are exactly right here, but. Uh, depending on on where you get your facts, but close to half of all kids are raised in a home without a dad present So, you know, it's really a an interesting kind of crisis How does how does a boy learn to become a man? You know how to how to tie a knot how to clean a fish how to catch a fish, you know How to how to treat people with respect how to love your enemy? How where how's it? How's that take place now? Uh, our show, K.O., isn't going to answer all those questions, but it begins to get at some of those themes of what does it mean to be a man? And, and K.O., you know, he's out there trying to figure out how to survive in the wilderness, and he is just not equipped. So he's got a lot of lessons to learn, and that's that's kind of the, the fun of the series.
1: From what I understand, there are some themes here, even some biblical themes, not hit you over the head style, but you can take something away from your story above and beyond being entertained and intrigued by it. Talk about, as storytellers, straddling that line between wanting to impart something decent and noble and not Mm -hmm. hitting you over the head with it. Because I I see so many filmmakers today and so many storytellers do just that, where the movie or the TV show stops cold and all of a sudden we get the lecture and it's so obvious and it's so ham-handed. How do the both of you, when you're working together, avoid those moments and is it hard to do that? It, yeah, this is not at
0: all agenda-driven. I think if you're a, a Christian, you'll see all kinds of uh, uh, allusions and whatnot to biblical themes. I mean, it, really, it's a retelling of David and Goliath, only Goliath is nuclear war. You know, we, we for instance, there's a scene where, where Ko comes across a, a, a guy who's suspended in the trees. He's a paratrooper, and he's all caught up, and he's got a a limb stuck through his side, and and he's suspended. You know, I think some Christians would say it's kind of a and In fact, Cao tries to save him by by taking his uh, a spear and and handing up a uh, his handkerchiefs soaked with water to to give the guy a drink. Well, a Christian would probably say, "Well, I've seen that scene, uh, you know, in the Gospels," but. You know, non-Christians would watch this movie and and they would they would sense no agenda uh, whatnot. It's just there are some biblical themes, uh, again, like love your enemy, uh, how to uh, how to be more self-sufficient and take responsibility. Uh, Again, some some biblical themes, but we're not this is not some evangelical push to, you know, preach the four spiritual laws or something crazy like that.
1: Uh, what, what, okay, did you want to fin- uh, finish some thoughts? I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, that's that's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of times what I'm seeing lately is right of center, right-leaning, however you want to describe the artists. They're going around the system. They're not going to NBC or Netflix and saying, hey, here's my pitch. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Let's, let's get into business. And uh, we've seen it with God's Now. We've seen it with the Unplanned movie. It, this this sounds to me, just from what I know about the project so far, is that it's not a, a typical route to the small screen. Uh, talk about going in that direction and why you decided to go that path, and we, then we get more specific about what you're doing.
3: Okay. Well, um, I have done you know financial raises for, for films for a long time in all different kinds of contexts. And the films that you mentioned, Gosnell and Unplanned, uh, along with the, the project called The Chosen, uh, which is an eight-part television series, um, were very inspirational for us because um, the trend, we think, is that uh, there's a movement where a, a producer can actually control their message, uh, their community, their distribution platform, uh, and their audience all in one fell swoop. And that's what all of these uh, projects have essentially done with the notable exception of unplanned, which had a theatrical release, um, that, you know, was pretty powerful. Uh, but guys now, I think, uh, you know, showed that they can create a community and raise all the money they need without going to, to Hollywood. Um, and there are complications when you go to Hollywood because you have to, Uh, sort of do what the money tells you to do or what the distribution tells you to do. And we were greatly inspired by The Chosen uh, because The Chosen created a community of over 20 million people that watched their trailer and invested in their film. And uh, so we decided to adopt that model uh, that The Chosen has used. And uh, we're very excited about it because it lets us tell the story we want to tell. Uh, the people we want to interface with will be found through the social media, you know marketing efforts. And we will create a community for KO, not just you know, blasting it out to uh, sort of an arbitrary audience.
1: And in doing that, you create loyal people, people who are invested in the story in the process. Even in the community itself, it sounds like you've had good success early on. How do you, how do you know that your social media outreach is being successful beyond the numbers? Is there sort of a sense you get that hey, there is momentum here? This we're on the right path.
3: Yes. Yeah. You you just sort of get it, and um, you know, to do this type of uh, offering and this type of uh, you know paradigm, if you. Could, could use that word. Uh, you need you know marketing experts and you need people that know how to create click funnels and create you know traffic on the internet. And um, we did a very small uh, two or three day sort of soft launch for our, for our project. Uh, and we had an overwhelming response for us. We had over a half a million people visit the website. And over 250,000 people watched our trailer uh, from beginning to end. So um, that was very exciting for us because it showed us that our our uh, uh, data assets, our you know video assets, were connecting. That Ko was connecting as as a young actor. And that people want to see this kind of story. So that was after a very small, soft uh, opening. Yeah, it didn't it for very little
0: uh, spend as well. What's great about it is you you get to interact with people right away on Facebook and whatnot. and and you're you're getting direct feedback about the trailer and about the feelings. and so and you'll get you know you'll get folks uh, from the right, from the left having different responses to to some of the themes. and uh, you know, some accusing it of being right-wing, some accusing it of being left-wing. And, and you know, the, re- the response is, hey, K.O. Well, he's 10 years old. He doesn't know the difference between a Republican and a Democrat. <laughs> so it's it's really great to have that kind of direct uh, interaction with, with your with your target audience.
1: What's so. been the most interesting reaction so far? I mean, you, you, you get the ideologues, like you mentioned, on both sides, or maybe people <clears throat> saying, hey, I can't wait to see it. That's wonderful. But... Any sort of feedback that either you didn't expect or you just thought, wow, we kind of touched on something that I wasn't even aware of? Well, you know, the, the
0: backdrop of the story is, is a, there's a nuclear event, an, an electromagnetic pulse bomb that wipes out the, you know, the grid. Uh, North America goes dark. And I don't know if you know much about that. Uh, surprisingly, my my nephew Ko said, "Yeah, I learned about that in school. <laughs> it's kind of interesting." But you know, the crazy thing—that's a very real possibility. Uh, you know, be, whether it be Iran or North Korea or 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 Russia or whatnot, but that that whole geopolitical backdrop really wasn't the heart of the story. That's almost more of a metaphor for uh, the di- the disintegration of Ko's nuclear family. You know, he gets their family announces there's going to be a divorce. K.O. runs away. He's distraught. He hides out in his secret little cave. And just at that moment, this EMP strikes. So that backdrop, you know, generates a lot of, of response. And the good news is most of our facts are, are we, we didn't get challenged too much because you've got to get that stuff right. You don't want to just, you know,
1: create erroneous uh, uh, backstory. Yeah, in Christian. today's day and age, uh, people will call you out for it. I think a lot of filmmakers really have to kind of uh, dot the I's and cross the T's when they're doing any kind of story, even fantasy, because they will know that that they've, you, you've kind of uh, messed something up. Um, let's talk about sort of moving forward. Is there sort of a time frame that you have in mind for production, for raising the funds, for any sort of uh, a thumbnail sketch on that part of it?
3: Yes, we are starting our our major social media push uh, in the next two weeks. Um, And we're gonna be raising money through um, uh, both an ask for support, uh, a financial ask, and also through a pre-sale of the series. Uh, So people will be able to pre-buy the series uh, on our website. Uh, And we will use the funds from that to produce a pilot, uh, uh, about a 20-minute pilot, which will then drive our and also uh, digital advertising expenses that will also that will then drive our regulation A plus uh, offering, which we will utilize as the chosen did to raise the funding for the entire eight part series, several million dollars of advertising to support uh, to support that uh, and build the community.
1: You know, it's interesting the um I'm kind of ch- changing gears a little bit here. I just did an interview with the directors of a new film called The Peanut Butter Falcon, and it's about a young man who has Down syndrome, and it's a it's a wonderful story. I highly recommend it. But the filmmakers said they just weren't aware that making a story that that showed a person with Down syndrome as just a hero, just a regular guy, the impact it had on the culture. and it it, it just shows you what pop culture can do and the messages it can send. And obviously, people on the left, are kind of using that as they want to do and the messages they want to send. Talk from your perspective a little bit more about sort of putting something noble and decent and, and uplifting into a product because Mike has been doing stories for years that maybe didn't fall directly in this line, but now you are and Galen is. Talk about that, that as sort of a either a, a mission or a legacy or just the, the, the impact that could have.
0: Well, I, I think there's there's a real revolution taking place. I mean, you're, what you're seeing is films with a with a strong either family values or Christian message or judo, you know, espousing Judeo-Christian values. Uh, they're getting better and better. They were like to your point, they were just they were just god awful and 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 horribly produced. And uh, and that's that's what's so exciting for me about partnering with Mike because. He he does really really quality stuff. I mean, you you take a look at at this uh, last film he did, A River Below. It's you know it's just being touted and and heralded. It's brilliant and beautifully produced, and that's what Christians have got to do. We've got to produce uh, unparalleled quality without that agenda driven message, and and this gives an opportunity to do that. And what's really cool is this kind of, of uh, backing where, where really the target audience, they're the producers. So it, it, that's the revolution, that's the Hollywood 2.0 where, where that target audience, instead of the rich fat cats in Hollywood, are the producers delivering films with quality messages but shot beautifully and executed beautifully. That's, that's the goal, that's what we're doing.
1: Yeah, and I've noticed that. I mean, I'm a film critic so I've watched a lot of faith-based movies. And in the beginning, they were tough. I mean, the the production values were weak, and the acting was sort of inconsistent at best. And that might be yeah. unkind. And the last, I, there was a movie early this year called Breakthrough. About uh, it was based on a true story. It was a wonderful film, and it had a real faith-based message. But totally. uh, I thought it was just extremely well produced. It it made me tear up, and it was everything you'd want in a film. And it had that message, which I thought was uplifting and positive And and in, in all the best of ways, so I, I do agree with that. I think if if people right of center, people of faith, come to the marketplace with mediocre fare, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, found out rather quickly, and it's gonna get pushed aside. So I'm glad to see what's what's going on. Um, any last sort of teases? I, I I think sometimes the artist is the best person to kind of let kind of whet our appetites for a particular project. So with uh with this one with with Kaya Warboy, what's your Give me your elevator pitch before we let you go. The the elevator pitch is
0: that kids need adventure stories. And KO is a really, really exciting adventure about a kid who is cut off from his family and left to survive alone in the wilderness. And he is going to face some crazy enemies, not only your lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but (laughs) survivor preppers and looters and enemy soldiers. And in the process, he's going to have to face his his gravest fears and find the courage from within to to overcome. It's a it's an exciting adventure story.
3: Yeah, if I could add to that, Christian, I think um, as uh, producers on this project, we're always thinking about the media that our children consume and even our families consume. And, uh, you know, these fiction stories provide uh, exploration of, of uh, you know, of emotions in children and in families. So we're excited to be able to offer uh, a product that the whole family could watch together uh, by the way, earlier you asked us what some of the responses were, and one of the responses that I've gotten a particular kick out of is people want to know what happens to KO. They only watch a two-minute uh, piece, and then hundreds and hundreds of people want to know what happens to him. So so I think we're creating fiction um, that's going to provide a, a place for kids to explore their emotions and a pl- uh, an opportunity for parental um Interaction with kids, uh, you know, uh, asking questions because it's a very raw environment set against a, a pretty scary backdrop. Mm-hmm. So um, we think that it can be particularly impactful uh, as, you know, media for the consumption of uh, young people and families.
1: Well, I've got two young boys who I'm looking forward to watching this with them. I think they'll get a big kick out of it and maybe take something <clears throat> away from it more than just entertainment. But, uh Damn. Thank you, guys, uh, Mike and Galen, for joining the HitCast. Please put KO Warboy on your radar. But more importantly, go to warboy.tv. That's W-A-R-B-O-Y.tv to help support the project. All the best, guys. And uh, I want to talk to you again down the longer road when you've got other things in the hopper. But for now, let's get this one done. Thanks for your time.
3: Thank you so much, Christian.
1: Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out hollywoodandtoto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter, at Hollywood and Toto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. Ugh, I have to do laundry when
2: I get home. I have to lug all my clothes over to the washing machine.
1: Then I get to put them in the dryer. And accidentally shrink my cashmere sweater again.
3: (laughs) Motorcycles make everything exciting. And when Geico makes it easy to switch and save on motorcycle insurance, it's even more exciting.
0: I'm gonna fold all my socks into little balls! Yeah!
3: Geico Motorcycle, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday.
0: Always have a plan for a sober ride. DC police are arresting drunk and drug drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. Message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.